Hello, my friends, and welcome to Refreshingly Honest Christian. My name is David Metcalf. I am your host. And uh, how are you? How's it going in your world? Are you doing good? Oh my gosh, it's the new year. That's pretty exciting. Let's put freaking 2020 behind us. Man, man, oh man, right? Are you feeling that? <laughs> oh gosh. Well, here we are yet again, another episode of Refreshing the Honest Christian. If you're new around here, welcome. Uh, happy to have you. If you're not new around here, also happy to have you. And we're just all happy that you're here. And uh, <laughs> really excited uh, to get into today's episode. Uh, but before we do, just wanted to let you know up top, we have a Patreon. So if you want to support the show, buy me a coffee. Uh, it really means a lot. You can go to patreon.com slash refreshingly honest Christian. We have about three tiers with different rewards that you can support the show. Uh, we're doing some pretty cool things over there right now. Some some new rewards, actually, where uh, we're doing a monthly Zoom hangout where we get to hang out with you and chat and discuss things that we talk about here on the show. Uh, what else are we doing? We have uh, discussion groups where we kind of get into stuff that we're talking about on the show. We have uh, we have some merch. We're coming out with some new merch, some T-shirts. Uh, we're, we're, that's in the works right now. We have uh, a Jesus pin that you get as as a member. So uh, that's just one way you can kind of wear your support for the show. Just a little badge of honor. So patreon.com slash refreshingly honest Christian where you can check out all the different uh, rewards, tiers, all that good stuff. So please check that out. Head on over to patreon.com slash refreshingly honest Christian. It really means a lot. So enough of that. Today's show we have David Hayward, also known as The Naked Pastor. I'm really excited to have him on the show. I feel like it's been a long time coming. <laughs> I've been following his work for a little bit. He's a cartoonist. He's also a writer. He's a former pastor. And uh, if you follow him on Instagram, you already know. He's he's awesome. He's got like these really funny cartoons <laughs> uh, that are really... Um, all about like Jesus and and the church and just really really good stuff. Uh, we get into it on the show. And we kind of dive into kind of what led to him him to where he is now. Like we talk about how he was in ministry for a while and what led him to ultimately leaving it, and then really where he's at spiritually. And we talk a lot about some of his art. And I was just I was really excited to talk with him. So without further ado. Here is my conversation with David Hayward. Enjoy. All right, David Hayward, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. Good, good to be here. You're here. We're, there's two Davids here. Is is that pretty trippy for yeah, you? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was telling you uh, just before we started recording. Another Dave. Is you got this cool Dave Letterman beard right now, and I I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I I cannot grow facial hair. So really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> really. Oh wow. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I just started growing at the beginning of COVID and. Haven't bothered to shave it off, so and I've I've gotten a lot of a lot of people like it, so I figure might as well. And my hair is like completely white, so it's like 
definitely Dave Letterman kind of <laughs> yeah. vibe. To it. Totally. I love it. Cool. Yeah. So, so David, you are the naked pastor. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. You know, you're a cartoonist, you're a writer, you're a mm-hmm. former pastor. How do you generally describe what you do? Does that kind of encapsulate it? Yeah, that kind of encapsulates it. I, I do a lot of stuff. So when people ask me what I do, I sort of start fumbling for words. But um, what, what I'm mostly known for is um, my cartoons and uh, my art. And, you know, then secondary, probably my online media stuff and interactions with people, my posts, my writing. And then, you know, um, an online community, The Lasting Supper that people know about. And so I'm, I'm very busy. I'm, I'm working online all the time. But mostly when people wonder what uh, when people hear about Naked Pastor, they know it's it, they first thing they think of is my cartoons. Yeah. Yeah. That's certainly how I know you is, is your cartoons and even just recently, I bought some stickers from your online store, and I'm just a huge fan of. Yeah. <laughs> the, I think I told you my favorite one is the, is the like this, and like Jesus is like helping this girl with her middle finger. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, it, it's awesome. So I would love to even ask you, the name Naked Pastor. Like, what does that mean? Okay, well, first of all, I want to say hi to all your followers, and I'm so glad to be with you and be able to to talk and share. And I'm really good at responding to people. So if you ever want to reach out, I'm really good at responding. But Naked Pastor, I was blogging, you know, I started blogging way back 2004 or five, and I was just going by my name at that time. And then I thought I would take on the name Naked Pastor. I was a pastor of a church at the time. That was before I left the ministry. And I wanted people to see behind the curtain, to see past all the Hoopla, you know, to, to see past all the victory stories and the successes and the growth and, you know, all that stuff and see what the life of a real pastor was like with all mm. of his struggles and questions and fights and, you know, financial woes and all that kind of stuff. So that's what the naked means. It, you know, it, it's nothing to do with nudity. It has to do with me just <laughs> being real and honest and vulnerable and open and transparent and so yeah. it's it's kind of like i wanted people to see the the life of a pastor without any adornments you know so that's that's yeah. why i took the name on and you know it stuck yeah i love the name yeah and i and i wasn't totally sure if that was sort of the the meaning i think that's that's the beautiful thing about art right is there's you know yeah. there's the interpretation right <laughs> um right. and so right. yeah no that's that's beautiful so yeah, that's right. You were so you were in ministry for quite some time and I know yeah. you you eventually left ministry and a lot of that kind of intersects with what you do now. But mm-hmm. yeah, so like bring us up to speed. So like we always kick this thing off by kind of talking a little bit about your background and kind of, you know, how you were raised and, you know, were you raised in a religious environment and obviously so again, I know you were a pastor. So why don't you tell us that story? Yeah, so I, I I was raised in a, a Christian home. My, you know, mom and dad, I think they got saved, you know, quote mm-hmm. unquote, at a Billy Graham crusade in Toronto. And, um, you know, uh, my dad was a cop. Uh, so, uh, and they gravitated towards more conservative churches. So being conservative Christian plus the son of a cop, I was a pretty obedient kid most of the time and uh, pretty pretty, you know, 
compliant and responsible. I was the oldest of five kids. And, you know, we just sort of went to different churches. We weren't faithful to any one denomination or anything. We just went to whatever was closest most of the time. We moved a lot. And then when I was in my teens, I got born, really born again, <laughs> at a Baptist youth group, boys club or something. And then eventually my whole family started going to that church. And and then soon after that, we switched over to Pentecostal. And that's where I sort of started planning my roots uh, in a Pentecostal church near Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And from there, I went to a Pentecostal Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. That's where I met my wife, Lisa. And eventually I went to, after that, I went to seminary, Boston, got my master's. And then eventually I got ordained in the Presbyterian Church in Canada. And eventually I left there and went into the Vineyard Church as a pastor. And I stayed there for quite a few years until I left the ministry in 2010. That was 10 years ago. It's hard to believe. Wow. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I left the, the ministry and for the most part, the church in 2010. And now it's kind of funny. I struggled with whether to keep the name Naked Pastor because I was no longer a pastor of a church, but I decided to keep it. And I'm kind of glad I did because I kind of am doing kind of what pastors do, mm. but online. I help people with their spiritual lives and care for people. And my medium is cartooning and writing for the most part. And that's how I, that's how I do what I do. So that's, that's my story in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And in, in kind of preparing for this conversation, even David, so I, I, you know, I did the, st the, the internet stalking. I had to, I had to check, look, <laughs> kind of prepare a little bit. Yeah. So one of the things that you said that, that really struck a chord with me was you said, some people think I'm here to defeat a certain kind of religion or think I'm trying to dis to destroy the church. I wonder for you, like what even led to that? What do people most misunderstand about you and the work that you do today? Well, um, I, I think the biggest misunderstanding comes from assumptions people make. And one of them is that because I'm not orthodox, they think I'm no longer valid or should be heard or have a voice or can play in the game. Or And, and then when they see me critiquing what I think is wrong with the church, mm. uh, a lot of people get defensive about that and, and think that I shouldn't critique the church, especially if I'm not a part of it. And I, I think that's what's most misunderstood is that I, I love the church. I, I, you know, I really think the church is a valid thing and should exist. And my only concern is that we do it in a healthy manner. Yeah. So that's why I'm constantly critiquing the church and, you know, speaking to it yeah. and challenging it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you even talk about you had this powerful experience in 2009 and I love what you said. You're like, no, it wasn't mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, what was that experience for you? Do you mind uh, speaking to what that was like? Yeah. Well, it was a culmination of years, actually decades of me struggling with a lot of confusion and chaos in my spiritual and theological life. You know, when I was studying my master's, my belief in the inspiration of scripture was drastically challenged and undermined. And that was kind of the cornerstone of all that I believed. If you don't think scripture is inspired, then why do we believe what we believe? So 
I had this sort of dual kind of conflicting thoughts going on in my mind. One was questioning the inspiration, infallibility, mm. inerrancy of scripture. And on the other hand, also believing my experiences that I'd had in the church that I couldn't reject. So I had these sort of two forces going on inside of my head that were, they seemed to be contradictory and conflicting. I couldn't figure out how to deal with that. You know, I know one way would be to just reject religion altogether and just, you know, go on my own path or to just reject my feelings and my thoughts and intuitions and just totally comply with what the church told me to. But I couldn't do either of those, I felt, with integrity. So I waited for some kind of a resolution mm. to happen. Yeah. And it actually took decades. Like it took me 30 years, you know, before anything happened that brought it to a resolution. And it was in 2009 where I kind of had this moment where I saw with such clarity that we're all deeply united, mm. that we're one, yeah. and um, that there's only one reality, and that we're all, we all experience this one reality. However, we all interpret this reality through our own lenses, our own paradigms, and understand it through our own paradigms, and try to articulate it with our own languages. But there's only one reality. And so, you know, yeah. but there's a million plus interpretations of that. And and so when I saw that, it was like immediately that was the resolution was that it was it's only language and words and ideas that seem to separate us. Mm. But it's not real. It's it's only um, superficial. The real real is the oneness and the connection that um, exists between us. And so. You know, when I started in 2009, when that happened to me, I immediately felt peace of mind and I knew this was it. This was the answer. This was a resolution to the conflict that I was experiencing. And I started writing about it. And then that's when I started getting in trouble with, uh, <laughs> you know, my denomination and my congregation and, and things like that. And I knew my time was up and within the year I decided I had to leave. Yeah. I think the thing that I love... With again going back to tying it in with the name naked pastor, like you're describing a vulnerability that you know, and I and I, I don't know if you know much about myself, David. So I actually for years like that was the goal, that was the, tra the trajectory was to be a pastor. I went to Bible college, I <laughs> worked on staff at a church, I did ministry, but eventually I I feel a a, a kinship with you in this where. I think you were a lot deeper in it. Like you said, you were in, you know, you like you got your master's, you were in ministry, you were all this stuff. So like, I think what's amazing is like, I mean, even just the language of like, you had to leave. Right. I, I think it's interesting when you have like this sort of own inner journey. I've even heard, you know, Rob Bell talk about the split. Like a lot of pastors have <laughs> like who they, you know, the game face they have on a Sunday and then. Right. their own sort of like inner journey. And I think f what I love so much about you is there is like an integrity there where you're like, okay, I can't, f I'm not going to fake it. You know what I mean? Right. And I, I mean, I, and I don't want to be too hard on pastors, but it's like, it, it, I, I just, it makes me just think of the people in ministry who have the same 
questions, doubts, or whatever that I think you were experiencing. And, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but are, yeah. you know, are they're, they're stay they're, they're staying put because they don't want to, you know, rock the boat or, or anything like that. Yeah. So my, my style of ministry was always one of being kind of transparent and honest and open about my struggles, but I did it in a way that wouldn't needlessly upset yeah. the congregation. So you know, I, I, I didn't ever feel like I was lying. I, I felt like I was bringing them along on my journey or sharing my journey along with, you know, with them. So I never, I never felt duplicitous, you know, or, or two-faced. It was only when at the end there, when I was sharing, and this is, maybe it's my naivete or something, but I was just kind of sharing on my blog what my epiphany was, thinking people would be interested in hearing it. But when something I had become so certain of was actually heretical to some and upsetting to some, and actually just some people felt it disqualified me from ministry, that's when I knew my, you know, I I pulled the, the final straw. And, you know, I, I agree with you. Like I, I sympathize and I, I talk with a lot of pastors who were struggling. I was there. I remember, you know, I was fired a couple of times and I quit the ministry a couple of times and it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. You may know Mm. because, you know, you're leaving, you're not just leaving a paycheck, although that's huge. You're also leaving your community. You're leaving your sense of purpose you're leaving your reason for being, you're leaving your sense of destiny, you're leaving your vocation, you know, you're leaving your home for many pastors, leaving the parsonage or the manse or whatever you call it. And it's really scary. So, you know, I, I, I talk with a lot of pastors who, who feel trapped and I totally know what they're going through because I've felt trapped many times as well. The truth is I try to I try to help them see that they're not really trapped. They're just stuck with a tough decision. Mm. They have to decide, you know, they could quit today, <laughs> but they're gonna be unemployed and you know they'll they'll struggle. So that that's the the trap. It's not really a trap, it's just, it's it's a tough decision. Yeah. And uh, one I've had to face several times. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard you say things like the whole point of what I do is freedom and you talk about like you are free, you just don't know it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, for me that even, I mean, that, that speaks to a lot of people in ministry too, you know, that are, that do maybe feel trapped, you know, is you, you can quit anytime, you know, <laughs> like, yes, you're going to have to deal with some, you know, hard stuff or whatever. But you know, if, if you feel trapped, like you're not actually trapped, right. Is that what I hear you saying? Yeah. yeah so back in 90, Five when I was a Presbyterian minister, I had been a Presbyterian minister for many years, and they offered me the opportunity to plant a brand new Presbyterian church in a new town that didn't have one. And I thought, great, this will be my opportunity to build a church from scratch the way I want it, rather than coming into an old uh, congregation and you know bending to their will. I will help shape a new congregation based on my vision for what a church can be. And within two years, I, I felt like killing myself. I was so bored Mm. and I hated it. 
because what happened was it drew out all the old Presbyterians that had lapsed from church because there wasn't a Presbyterian church there. And it just became the same old story. And I was like, I just hated my job. And I didn't know what to do because I had a wife, three young kids. I was living in the church's parsonage and I, I felt trapped. I didn't know. I went to bed one night completely depressed and and full of anxiety because I didn't know what to do. I hated my job, but I couldn't quit because I have a family to feed, yeah. a car to pay for. I need to find a new home. I don't, I'm not trained to do anything else in the world, but be a pastor. And, you know, it was just horrible, terrible. I felt like my life was done mm-hmm. and I would hear I was going to be stuck doing something I hate for the rest of my life and totally depressed. And that night I had a dream and in the dream, I just heard a voice say, it's time. And I woke up laughing my head off. I was just laughing and laughing and laughing. And Lisa woke up and the kids came running in and jumped on the bed and look what's going on. I was like, we can quit. We can just quit. And Lisa's like, okay, you know, (laughs) I said, no, you know, we can just quit. And, you know, so I did. I, I felt, I realized it wasn't trapped. I was just scared to make the difficult choice. Yeah. And that embarked us on two years of some of the greatest adventures of our life. It was scary. You know, we had no money, no place to live. We literally lived in a tent sometimes and people's, you know, spare rooms and trailers and, (laughs) you know, like it was, but it was exciting Mm. because we were free and, you know, that led to where eventually where we are today. So, yeah, Mm. that's awesome, man. Yeah. Another thing that you said that I really loved was, and it's so funny how you have to kind of keep saying this and I get it. Like, I think we've been accused of similar things on this podcast of like, what are you doing? Like, are you trying to just to like destroy the, like what, like do you have an ax to grind? Like what's your deal? (laughs) But one thing that you said that I really loved is I'm not here to defend or defeat or destroy anything except abuse and control and manipulation. And I mean, given your experience in the church, like as a pastor, like what kind of, you know, I mean, spiritual stuff like that, like, have you seen in the church? Like, did you, were you exposed to that in your, in your, in your own time of ministry or even stuff that you see now that you're kind of speaking to with your art? The, the abuse you mean? Yeah. The abuse, the control, manipulation, that kind of stuff. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, man, the the church is the perfect culture for control mm. and manipulation and coercion and abuse because not only do you have the adoration of charismatic leadership, you also have the propensity and the pressure for the members to be docile sheep, mm. right? Yeah. So those two together make make the perfect culture for abuse to occur. And, and we're, you know, we're seeing it a lot more these days, not because it's happening more, but because people are talking about it more. And I've been abused. I've been a part of the church culture that nurtures that. And I've been, you know, I, I've inflicted a spiritual abuse myself. Mm. And it's a deadly, deadly thing. I really do think the systems of all kinds, including the church, the gravitational pull is towards dehumanization and bureaucracy and where people get 
run over, dismissed, or abused for the sake of some money or vision or goal or agenda or or whatever. Yeah. Um, the church isn't exempt from that. And so that's why I'm calling it out all the time. It takes hard work for a church and the leadership and the membership to prevent that from happening. It's hard work daily, daily, daily. There needs to be the intention of not being a dehumanizing place. Yeah. So that's why I constantly talk about it. Yeah. And I know I'm speaking from experience yeah. that I've inflicted it and I've received it. Yeah. Spiritual abuse. Yeah. Yeah, there, yeah. There's, there's two bits of art that I'm looking at right now of yours. And the first one I feel like is very uh, like you and it's Jesus overturning the tables. And I love that. That's yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then there's the one of Jesus. He's got his hand on a, a rainbow colored sheep and, and the sheep is saying, well, actually I'm not lost. It was clear to me. I wasn't really fully welcomed. And yeah. one of my favorite things about you, David, is you are such an advocate for our LGBTQ plus brothers and sisters. And, mm-hmm. you know, honestly, <laughs> you know, again, like when I hear you say things like, you know, the church, it's, you know, it served me well. You talk about how it hurt you. That resonates so with so much with me because it really nurtured, the church really did nurture me in so many ways, in so many mm-hmm. really beautiful ways. Like it's really helped me <laughs> in my walk, my life and all that. But yep. I think the reason that people like you and I exist (laughs) is because it's necessary for the church to be held accountable like Jesus overturning the tables. Like when it gets, when it kind of gets off track, you know what I mean? Like it, it, it needs to be held accountable and, uh, and for purposes like, like, you know, extreme purposes of like people like, again, our LGBTQ plus brothers and sisters who don't feel welcomed in at times are also, also like, incredibly cruelly abused i don't know could you speak to that (laughs) yeah so the one of the things that bothers me is when somebody comes on i do a lot of lgbtq cartoons at least once a week and um i have a lot of you know gay bisexual transgender asexual polyamorous you name it friends Mm who I love and I care about them. And one of the things that bothers me when I talk, try to challenge the church and to be coming, not just inviting, but affirming and encouraging and allowing for equal status and responsibilities in the church is when somebody comes on and says, why would anybody want to be a part of something that hurts them? You know, Mm. like, are you guys idiots? Like, why don't you just leave? Like, what's the big deal? And, it's like, oh, man, come on. Like, open your eyes. It's like it's like a family and one of the members is kind of like the black sheep. And yeah. it's, you know, the smallest piece of pie all the time and <laughs> get punished more and is mistreated. And, and what are you going to say? Why don't you just leave your family? Just leave. Mm. If they don't want you, just leave. It's not that easy, man. Like, it's your family. Yeah. People are people are drawn to one another. People want family. People want support. People want community. Need actually, many people need community. And 
So it's going to happen. Like we're not going to be able to abolish the church and I don't think it should be abolished Yeah. because where two or three are gathered, you've got a system. It's going to happen. It's going to be a family. It's going to be a community. It's going to be a church. It's going to be something. And so that's why I'm constantly calling out systems, mainly the church, to elevate people to you know their equal status mm. and uh, with rights and responsibilities as everybody else. So that's why... That's why I'm constantly calling it out because it's going to happen. Yeah. Church is going to happen. Family's going to happen. Relationships are going to happen. And here's how you can do it in a healthy manner. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Man, we also have this guide that I'd love to talk about. It's a You have a free guide to deconstruction, and I would encourage anyone who's listening to download it, go to your website. I think you just give your email, and, and, you'll, and you'll send it their way. Yep. But yeah, it's not a trick. Somebody, somebody the other day said, is this really a, a free gift or are you trying to get me to buy something? It's like, <laughs> nope, it's really a free gift. Totally. No, yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, in it, I, one of the, one of the things that I really resonated with was, you know, you talk about one of those phases is like you, you liken it to that process of stages of grief. Right. And in, in the fourth one, you talk right. about depression. Right. So for many of us, we, you say here, we, we're stuck in this faithless desert of questioning, doubt, and fear. And just like a person must face her death, we must face the death of many of our beliefs in our faith and, in fact, our whole spiritual lives as we knew it. Everything we enjoyed is gone, and we are faced with a dark future without any appealing options. That, I mean, I've definitely been in that. <laughs> and it's not that easy. Like, you know, in many, actually, recently, I've, what I've been missing most is, a lot of my church community, and certainly with COVID, <laughs> that's even more complicated. Yeah. But yeah. why don't you t- just walk me through like even your own bit of deconstruction and really how difficult that was leaving your, your you know, your whole community? Well, devastating, Mike, absolutely. And I've often said the church's greatest asset is community. It's its ability to offer community. Yeah. I mean, a complete stranger can walk into a church, you know, a decently healthy church, and almost immediately be offered all kinds of relationships and support. When we started coming to this church many years ago, before I actually became its pastor, there were people offering us money, food, accommodations, repairs to our car, babysitting, you know, you name it. It was like, and, and friendship. And it was like, where, anywhere else in the world can you get that? Like, that's one of the church's greatest assets. And unfortunately, it's not taken advantage of and it's abused. So, yeah, one of the greatest pains that people feel when they leave the church is the loss of community. Mm. And it's it's real, man. It's 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 really real. We when we left the ministry and left the church, we we lost a, a whole whack of friends like overnight it was like bizarre mm. and and what kind of a normal person can withstand that kind of trauma you know yeah there's a few of those relationships that we've restored and they're they're good they're part of our friendship circle now and it's and we we love it but it took a lot of hard work to get back to having any kind of friendship so absolutely it's 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 really really devastating for a lot of people even you know and i and i 
I, I post about this quite a bit too, that it's okay to miss something that hurt you, you know, yeah. it's okay to, to miss that community, even though it, it really messed you up in some ways and hurt you in some ways. It's like, it's like those documentaries you watch of people who've left cults. Mm. They, they're crying and sobbing because they miss the intensity of the community they enjoyed and the intimacy they had with each other and the support and the constant caring for one another. But man, they were being abused. Mm. But, you know, that's, that's the weird thing about, about community. You know, it's kind of like a, a bad drug. You, you love the high, but man, it's, it's killing you. Right. And well, I've never done drugs, but I'm imagining that's what it's like where, you know, you, you, you know, you love the high, but it's, you know, eating away at your body. And, you know, if you keep going, you're going to kill yourself. But it's like that with many people with community, even though it's it can, in some ways it's harmful. And there's a lot we miss about it. And there was a lot of good things about it. Unfortunately, it came with some toxins that um, weren't good for us. Yeah. Yeah. Having a community like that, even from just a purely like, like a survival, like survivalist kind of like my, it's like you're surrounded by people, they bring you food and yeah. uh, it's like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. But <laughs> I think really? ma- many of us, we we're, we're kind of being woken up to seeing a lot of really important issues. Like we're seeing like, Oh, like my faith fundamentally there's a lot wrong with it. Could you speak to some of the things that you've deconstructed and and maybe no longer, or maybe things that you had questions about? Sure. I've, I've written a lot about this too in my blog posts, where one of the things I realized was, or started asking myself, was, and, it's, and, and this happened after I watched some documentaries, documentaries on um, cults. And, you know, I was telling you about the, you know, intense intimacy that people enjoyed and they missed that sense of community and, you know, actually living on a commune and uh, having that constant 24-7 support and communication and touch and, you know, care and being on the same page. And that's something that a lot of churches offer. But. I started asking, this was like a few years after I'd left, I started wondering, was that really that healthy? Like, mm. was that, is that normal? You know, because <laughs> you, when you, when you try to describe that to some people, there are many, most people are like, especially <laughs> people like who are into psychology or whatever, yeah. they'd be like, ah, uh, that sounds kind of icky to me like mm. that sounds kind of codependent and you know boundaryless uh, just kind of really dangerous does yeah. anybody have any boundaries yeah like it's this sort of emotional rape happening all the time and i remember being in uh, christian church cultures where you were expected to be completely forthcoming 24 7 about everything uh, that was going on in your life and your personal sins and your secrets and mm. even being in the prophetic churches too where you were worried that the you know the prophets could tell anything you were doing in the privacy of your bedroom or you know what was going on in your head like there was no secrets no mm. privacy no sense of self with a boundary around it 
and that you were totally fair game for, you know, that's not healthy. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's yeah. Not normal. That's not healthy. Even though it felt intimate, that's not intimate. That's, that's rape really, honestly. Mm. Mm. And, and so, you know, that's some of the things uh, like when people are leaving the church and they say they miss the community and everything. And I'm like, you know what? And also every, everybody I know, like the new friends that Lisa and I have who don't have a history of church or anything, you know, they struggle too. They, they struggle finding friends as adults. Like they, they have to make it intentional effort to make and keep friends. It's not just a, deconstructed Christian or somebody who's left the church's problem. It's an adult problem of creating Mm. a social life. And, you know, Lisa and I, you know, we're, we're getting on in years. And uh, one of the things that, you know, the number one thing that kills old people is loneliness. It's the root of a lot of illness. And, Mm. and, you know, I don't want that. Lisa doesn't want that. It takes work though to create friendships and to, and to keep those friendships and to nurture them. And so the, these are the kind of things I talk about with people who've left the church. You know, I, I, I did try other groups, you know, everything from sports teams to, you know, uh, Toastmasters or, or whatever, trying to find a community. No, you're not going to find anything like you experienced in the church, and maybe you shouldn't. Yeah. Let's reanalyze. Let's reassess. Let's find out what's healthy and normal and good for us and not toxic and dysfunctional and codependent. And, you know, it's going to take some work, but I see it over and over again where people in a few years have created a a circle of friends that they're comfortable with and happy with and can be friends with the rest of their lives. Yeah. Yeah. One thing you made, you made me think of was I remember I was on this retreat this one time for this internship that I was a part of. And it was like this, I think it was like the last day or something. And the leader of this like retreat was like, okay, we're going to, we're going to, you know, we're going to write down something we need to leave behind. We're going to nail it to the cross. And they also wanted us to tell, they're like, all right, we're going to have the pastors come in and like, you can confess your sins and yada, yada. Yeah. And I told the lead pastor, probably the most intimate personal thing I've told anybody, it, definitely. It was like the most secret thing that like has happened in my life. And it was really like, and I thought I was doing it like, and for me, I was, I felt, in, I don't know, like encouraged and like, oh, this is great. Like, you know, I want to be vulnerable and yada, yada, yada. And I even remember like his response was not great. <laughs> <laughs> they're like oh we don't want this to be like a confessional like basic i'm like okay well you should have clarified because even like years later i mean i've looked back on that and i'm like oh that was so embarrassing and awkward but there is like a weird emotional incest that i think is encouraged in a lot of communities and yep. it reminds me of that take me to church song i'm sure you know it yeah where it's like i'll tell you my sins and you can sharpen your knife yeah. <laughs> and gosh, when I look back on that and I think of this pastor to this day, like it's one of the only things that I can think about. And I've even felt like a weird division, but like, I don't know, between that person. That's that's something else I don't need to unpack right now. But man, it is one of those things that I think it people get their hooks in you. And again, it is very cultish, like what you're saying. And I think it is a perfect 
environment for like a high control abuse situation. And we don't even realize it. We think it's in the name of community and love. And, but like, like you, what you're saying, it's like, no, that's not normal. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. Yeah. It is normal in church culture though. Yeah. And that, and that's, as you know, and, uh, but you know what they say, knowledge is power. And, um, when, when, um, a leader knows everything about you and, and, and is assured that he will, or she will always know everything about you. That's, mm. that's not, that's not healthy. You know, that's, that's just not normal. Yeah. 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 Gosh. One thing that uh, I've, I've seen you, you describe even on your website is you talk about how everybody deserves the right to explore your spirituality, express their doubts and beliefs. You talk about how, Asking yourself questions, especially around what you believe, is brave. And I think you've done, by the way, you, you're, you've done a really great job of articulating even just some of the messaging around this stuff. Like, I'm actually really often inspired by you. So, again, thank you for being here. Um, oh. <laughs> but I'm just wondering for you, David, like, if you feel comfortable, like, even, like, yeah. what were some of those beliefs that you start you started to shed? I know for you, like, it was some of this community stuff. But even in Christianity, was there anything that you left behind and you kind of no longer subscribe to? Well, you know, I remember way back in the day when, you know, I started wondering about the sixth day of, of creation and, you know, Jonah and the whale and, you know, all, all these, all these miraculous stories in the Bible and everything. I remember those, but they, they weren't um, traumatic mm. questions for me. For me, it was when I started questioning the inspiration of scripture, um, because that was really the source of my spirituality, my religion, my, you know, beliefs, my theology. And that's when the real fire, that's when the, the virus entered my code hmm. and started dissembling it and crashing my theology. It took, you know, 30 years. Mm. but that's that's what did it but you know uh, when it comes to all those things it's 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 not like I, I i try to avoid language like reject it or i've moved on or or things mm. like that because what i what i've come to realize is that i used to think of growth in terms of linear like you progress along a line and you leave stuff behind Mm. And then we, we switched to stages where, you know, you go up these stages of belief or faith and you leave below, you know, the, the ones you've moved on from. But now I think of growth as spatial, where we grow outward, get, we get larger, our, mm. our souls get larger, let's say. And, and it subsumes or integrates or includes everything that's come before. It's not like we've moved on or we reject anything it's it's more like it gets morphed or 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 transformed into something new so even though i you know i don't believe in a literal six-day creation mm. but i do appreciate the story of creation the myth of creation what does yeah. that mean deeper significance mm. or the truths that it's trying to convey or or the story of jonah what's what's the deeper meaning of that you know, I'm not even sure the original writers intended anybody to believe it was a literal event, but what, <laughs> right. what's the deeper truth 
that these myths are trying to con convey. So it's not like it's rejection or moving on. It's more like it, it gets it gets alchemized, let's say, mm. from from dross metal to gold. And but it's it's still there. It's not gone, but it's yeah. it, it's transformed into something new and deeper and more meaningful. Mm. So that's why I say to people when they say to me, "Oh, you don't believe the Bible, or you don't read the Bible, or whatever," I'm like, actually. I think I, I have more respect for the Bible than you do because mm -hmm. I respect it as it is rather than what you're trying to make it into, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that's my, that's beautiful. That's yeah. I think that's really helpful language. And I think many of us, even myself included, I, you know, I, while I've certainly deconstructed some beliefs and I, and I don't believe in like uh, a lot of like literal interpretations of the Bible as I used to, right. I think being open to, and even when I was, I think more of a fundamentalist, I think I, I was without even realizing it more open to like, Oh, this is, this, this is mythological. But again, I think so many people are, they're kind of limited by a very literalist worldview in that like everything in the Bible is exact, literally true. You you can read it word for word. And that is exactly as it, ha you know, like you said, like, you right. know, the world was created in, th in this amount of time, whatever. For me, that's actually been really helpful. And one of my favorite things that you've written and uh, one of your uh, watercolor paintings is my home is in Christianity, but I have cottages everywhere. And so I've actually tried looking for this on your site. I really do want to buy it. Is I don't know if it's available, but <laughs> I'll just describe it for the listener here. So it's just a person kind of walking in like this open white kind of vastness, but they're kind of headed towards this very lone cabin in the woods. It's beautiful. And like, it just struck a chord with me because again, I feel like my home base is Christianity. It's, it's I you know, I kind of have this programming, like you say. Yeah. But, you know, like I identify with <laughs> probably more atheists than I do Christians on like in my life right now. Can you relate to that at all or? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, when people say, are you a Christian or not? I, I needed to come up with an answer because yeah. it, for me, it's not a yes or no question. Yeah. Um, and that is on my site, by the way, just when you go to Naked Pastor, my store, just search cottages everywhere. Print. Done. Done. And it's, that's, it's, I'm looking at it right now. So that's one of the, the things I came up with. It's like, I, I'm not going to reject Christianity. Why would I do that? It'd be mm. like rejecting my mom just because I moved out, you know? Yeah. Um, it's, uh, and don't believe what she believes or eat what she eats or whatever, you know? Uh, she, she helped me grow up and I don't reject her at all, but I have an independent life, but we still have a relationship. And it's the same with Christianity that's my home. Mm. It's part of my DNA, you know, spiritually speaking. And I don't wish to reject it. Uh, there's a lot I have. I have a lot of appreciation for it. And I feel even though I'm not, you know, your I, I probably can't be listed as orthodox sure. or traditional or evangelical or conservative or whatever. I still feel that that's my home, my family mm. of origin. And to the frustration of many church going conservative mm -hmm. Christians. Yeah. They can't seem to get rid of me. Yeah. Because I <laughs> I'm not gonna quit. 
Yeah. Right. I, yeah. I'm still in the game. I might not be, I might not have the proper uniform or the right shoes or, you know, playing in position, but I'm still on the field and, and they can't seem to get rid of me. Mm. So, you know, it's kind of that one of those situations, you know, you can't fire me. I quit, but I'm not yeah. quitting either. I'm still in the game. I feel. Yeah. But yeah. You're, so that's how I, I answer that question now. It's kind that. of like one of the cartoons I did is pre deconstruction. There's a, a glass and, and it's got water in it and it actually says belief in the glass. Mm. And then the next frame, it shows the ocean with the glass at the bottom. So that's kind of how I view how things have happened to me and to you and to many other people who deconstructed all our beliefs were held in a, in the proper container called Mm -hmm. Christianity or the church. But now our beliefs or our ideas or thoughts or our spirituality or whatever is everywhere. And that container is a, a part of it. It doesn't contain it anymore. It's a part of everything. It's sort of, gets integrated into it. It's like I, uh, that growth analogy I use where we've grown and, and, it, and it still includes what was before, but it's not, you know, the same. It's not the small container anymore. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's much, I would say, deeper, wider, more vast. <laughs> yeah. And I think what you're describing, at least to me, is you remind me of the saying by Richard Rohr, which is you're on the edge of the inside. You know, you're you're still a part of it. You're kind of like this, you're the black sheep in the family. That's one of my other favorite cartoons of yours. You have the sheep kind of spray painting himself. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, it's almost like you're, you're, you're one of those family members. You're like, yeah, like I'm the crazy uncle, but I'm not going anywhere. Like you can't get rid of me, man. Like, no, I, 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 yeah, I, I think giving people the permission to be themselves is just such a gift. And I think that's a lot of what you're doing with your work, David. And I just, I really appreciate it. Another thing you said to keep quoting you is I'm not in this for the popularity contest. And I love that because I can think of so many people, myself included, when I've been the guy who's like, yeah, I just want to be liked by everybody. And I know you, you're not, you're not needlessly kicking up dust or anything, but like, again, the image of Jesus turning tables over, it's like, he kind of, he pissed some people off and you know what? Like <laughs> yeah. that's okay. That's, that comes with it. And and I think you, like you said, like even with the Bible, it's like, you're actually taking it more seriously than anybody. Would you agree with that? Like maybe that's weird to say about yourself, but I, I would say you're taking it more seriously than, than most. <laughs> and so I just, well, I'm, I, I'm, I, I feel I'm here because I, I've got here. Yeah. Like, I don't feel I just got plopped here. I mean, I'm, I'm the product of my life so far, Mm. you know, I'm here because I have grown this way. Mm. So of course I'm going to speak out of what I know to be true and speak truth to power or try to speak truth to power or, but I don't, I don't want to elevate me above any other voices. There's tons of voices out there. Mm. I just love people. I want to encourage people. I want them to feel like they're okay that there's not somebody in the sky constantly grading their behavior and their thinking and, you know, their failures. I encourage them to be independent and autonomous and, you know, be the captains of their own ship and the masters of their own destiny. Yeah. That's what I I try to do. And I just encourage people to do that. I'm not, I'm not trying to get people to believe what I believe or 
to follow any organization or or whatever. I I'm trying. I it it's like that movie, um, uh, oh, the football agent guy, the sports agent guy, mm. Tom Cruise. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Show me the money or uh, yeah, Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire. That that movie where he goes, help me, help you. Remember that part? <laughs> yeah. Help yeah. Me, help you and he starts laughing and and that's <laughs> that's what I'm trying to I'm just trying to help people help themselves. Like I mm. I I'm not trying to free people. I'm trying to inform people they're free. Mm. Right? So there's a mm. huge difference. And and so, you know, I'm not trying to lead anybody anywhere. I, yeah. I'm just I'm just a voice in the yeah. wilderness and hopefully people hear me that they're free and that they're okay and that they have the right to be themselves and to choose the way they want to be spiritual. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Spiritual independence. I've heard you say thinking for yourself, (laughs) questioning the status quo. Another thing that I honestly, David, just one of the, when we can begin to wrap with this, but one of my favorite things that you said, as one person put it, I'm not your guru. Right. I'm your friend. You know, you're not following me. I'm not following you. We're friends. And I think, that's the most Jesus like thing is like, I, you know, I don't call you servants. I call you friends. And I think many of us were, we're after more followers. We're trying to be, become the next, the next answer man. We're trying to become the next authority on a particular thing. But I just, I just want to let you know that I, I see the work that you're doing and I love it. And I, I just really appreciate uh, it's really helped me on my own journey. And so I just know as more people find you (laughs) that, that, that you're helping them. The last thing I want to really highlight, draw a circle around is one of my favorite sayings of yours, which is questions are the answer. Could you speak to that? Yeah, well, that's the name of one of my books. And it's kind of like a memoir of how I got to where I am, if anybody cares. <laughs> so it's questions are the answer. It's on Amazon. And yeah, I just came to this conclusion that answers and certitude has a way of congealing the mind Mm. whereas questions keep the mind pliable and elastic and open and curious and that's where the growth is it's it's not in nailing something down but in liberating it into into the mystery and and studies have actually shown this that wisdom really is produced by the ability to be able to hold two seemingly opposing views at the same time. So that's, I was talking about that, the contradictory th- thoughts. How can, I be, how can I be free and responsible, for example? That's conflicting, seemingly conflicting thinking. So mm-hmm. how, how, do we, how do we resolve that? And it's not by just saying, off, off forget it. I'm just going to be free. Yeah. Or I'm just going to be responsible and not free. There's mm-hmm. got to be a way through that. And it's kind of like the Buddhist middle way. It's not here nor there. It's up through the middle, you know. So that's why I, I wrote a whole book about questions are the answer. Yeah. 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 I love that. Well, I've certainly found that to be true. And I, it's not just like a, it sounds good. Oh, you know, it, that's kind of like a kitschy phrase. It's like, no, it's like that right there for me sums it all up. And again, I just want to thank you for, I think you're doing a lot of permission giving. You're also being an example <laughs> for people, which is really helpful. And and again, your art has just been super helpful. So 
David, where can we go to learn more about you, your work, all that good stuff? Naked Pastor. Naked Pastor. I'm everywhere. I'm on Twitter and Facebook. I have a Facebook page and I'm on LinkedIn and Instagram and YouTube and Pinterest. And I even started TikTok. I love <laughs> it. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm I'm everywhere. Just Google Naked Pastor, one word, and um, you'll find me. Perfect. Yeah, in your store, yeah. I would definitely encourage people to, to buy some of your art. It's just, uh, it's really great, man. So, uh, awesome. all right, David. Well, thanks so much for coming on. It's It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. All right. There you have it, my friends. How you doing? How you feeling? Are you breathing? Are you doing good? That was great, wasn't it? David Hayward, my friend, you are just an incredible person, I have to say. I really love following his work. He's such a inspiring guy. I mean, that was that was awesome, wasn't it? <laughs> I enjoyed having that conversation with him. So uh, if, if you got anything from this podcast, please let us know. Reach out to us. Uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can email us, refreshinglyhonestchristian at gmail.com. Let us know what you got from the show. As we always say, we want to make this a conversation. And just as a reminder, we have a Patreon uh, where we have this community of like-minded people. So if that's something you're interested in, check it out. We have a Patreon. You can support us. Uh, there's a bunch of really awesome rewards in there. Uh, but that just kind of furthers the conversations that we're, that we're having here on the podcast, which we want to have with you, the listeners. So uh, that's it for me. One last thing here, I guess, is just <laughs> uh, if you haven't already, please leave us a review. It really means a lot. It helps uh, the podcast reach more people, which for us is, I mean, you know, I guess a good, an important thing. <laughs> we really, we like doing the show. And so uh, just let us know. Give us a five-star review in iTunes or don't. If you hate us, that's fine too. But a really, uh, it really does mean a lot. We read every single one of them and... Uh, it's just, it's, it's really awesome. We love hearing from you. So that is it for me. And until next time, everybody, you have a great new year. I know it's been a tough year for many of us. It's been challenging for a number of different reasons, but, uh, things are going to get better. Not magically just because 2021 started doesn't mean everything's perfect, but things are looking up, right? Things are going to get back to normal. Life is going to get better. And uh, let's just let's just keep going. Let's keep keep on moving because 2020 sucked, and we're gonna put it behind us. So that is it, my friends. Thanks so much for tuning in, and until next time, stay sweet. Bye.